Hello, and welcome to the Advances in Surgery podcast channel, your number one site for all resources in the surgical healthcare community. Let's continue with COVID-19 Resources Center Series. Hello again. My lecture is talking about uh, insufflators and smoke evacuation systems in uh, this uh, period of time with uh, this pandemic, uh, COVID-19. I think the question is, should we continue using minimally invasive surgery throughout the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic? That is an important question. We discuss about elective versus emergency uh, surgical operation, indication of surgery, we need to postpone surgeries, we need to use medical treatments such as appendicitis and cholecystitis. And maybe we have to diagnose patients, suspect patients. We, we can know yes or not negative. We know the false negative is around 20%. And maybe something important is to, to know how many seroconverted patients, as is, uh, uh, you know, a recent paper published in Nature so it's supposed to be after 14 days of the symptoms in our patients, 100% of them, you know, will be seroconverted with the immunoglobulins. My talk is divided in pandemic real situation, aerosol and surface stability on the infection, aerosol in open and laparoscopic approach, airborne transmission, prevention and protection, and I try to, you know, to give you some take-home messages. If you take a look of this uh, uh, figure, that was in April 2nd, and in Spain it's about uh, 110, suppose 110,000 patients infected. But it's a supposition because we don't know exactly the real numbers. Now we have, uh, you know, almost 140,000. However, if you go to the, to the, you know, to the paper published by the Imperial College at the end of March, actually in uh, uh, 30 March, I think it's very important because he created a sophisticated uh, mathematical uh, method and they decided to do uh, with these flags in this particular days However, the most important thing, if you take a look of this, in Spain, probably 15% of the population were infected at the beginning of this month. That's really important. Talking about aerosol surface stability, I think it's, that is a nice uh, figure. In, in the center of the slide, you can see how it's moving you know, the virus is supposed to be with a patient with just a simple cough or a sneeze. And we created the word of aerosol spray. And that's probably very important in laparoscopic surgery, but also in open surgery too. That is another recent paper published in New England Journal of Medicine comparing the stability of this virus you know, comparing with the previous SARS-CoV-1. They analyze surface stability and compare. Uh, and 
you know, the cough video, the, the cough too remain viable in aerosols in the experiment minimum during three hours. That is very, very important. At the same time, the results, you know, the aerosol and transmission of the uh, COVID-19 is plausible since the virus can remain viable in an infection in aerosol for hours or maybe sometimes in sun surfaces up to days. That is a perfect uh, graph, you know, say different surfaces in some places like plastic, they can live even days. That is really important in terms of the contamination or contagious uh, systems. Another in the same journal in New England you know, is talking about you know, a specimen in upper respiratory. They analyzed 17 patients, symptomatic patients, and they found you know, the, the, the number of uh, viral loads were detected soon, immediately after the symptom, the symptom onset. We have uh, higher viral loads detected in the nose and in the throat. Another important thing is also detected, you know, the same viral load in asymptomatic patients. That is the reason because as a surgeons, we need to know, you know, it's so important, you know, how to prevent uh, contamination, contagious in uh, patients, asymptomatic and symptomatic in our surgical patients. Remember, in Spain, you know, following the, the uh, Imperial College article, we have more than 7 million uh, at the beginning of this month. What about airborne transmission, you know, coming with the World Health Organization? And I think airborne transmission is different from droplet transmission and the presence of microbials with droplet nuclei, particularly is less than five in uh, diameter and which result the evaporation of larger droplets uh, or exits within dust particles. That's remained for a long period of time and that is the reason because you know our organization, our authorities recommend to have a distance between uh, uh, people more than a meter. In, in the context of COVID-19, airborne transmission may be possible in some specific circumstances, such as endotracheal intubation, bronchoscopy, open suctioning, nebulized treatment, manual ventil uh, uh, before intubation, turning the patient in the ICU to prone position, disconnect the patient from the ventilator, many important things such as cardiopulmonary resuscitation. And our question is, what's happened in laparoscopy. In analysis, is more than 75,000 COVID cases in China. Airborne transmission was not at the moment reported. And there are some evidence, it's also not only in the, in the pulmonary tract, it's also in this present in the feces. However, to date, only one study held cultural COVID-19 virus for the single stool specimen and there are not reports of fecal oral transmission in the COVID-19 virus to date. 
There is a very good paper in, in Nature saying virus isolation from stool samples was never successful. That's probably important for our, uh, uh, you know, our surgery, more important in colorectal surgery. But uh, there are some reasons, you know, trying to use uh, uh, against laparoscopy, such as the, the, the paper published recently, Annals of Surgery, is because they created an aerosol in aspiration, characterization, insufflation devices, the pneumoperitoneum pressure, you know, the electrocatory should be as low as possible, that that is a non, uh, uh, let me say, uh, non demonstrated, you know, many in evidence in medicine. After using electrical and ultrasonic equipment for 10 minutes, particle contamination of the smoke in laparoscopic surgery was significantly higher than a traditional open surgery in a recent paper published by Chinese colleagues. The effect of pneumoperitoneum in lung function and circulation, that is a reason because we recommend, or they recommend to use lowest pressure as possible and not to use the Trendelenburg, you know, important position in uh, uh, our patients. Another important thing is aerosol generating procedures. And as I mentioned before, tracheal intubation, tracheotomies, non-invasive ventilation and manual ventilation is very important to have this aerosol. Another devices like high-speed devices, you know, can generate important aerosols to create widespread environment contamination like uh, in a post-mortem or dental procedures they use the, uh, those high-speed uh, devices. And certain medical and patient care activities they can result in the release of airborne particles in aerosol. I think it's important to know all of this because we, at the end, I wanted to recommend something in uh, using minimally invasive surgery. If you go to open approaches, that is a quite recent paper published a year ago about, you know, a smoke in open, smoke, a surgical smoke in prevention in gynecology surgery. And that is important because they demonstrate viral malignant cells uh, and live bacteria and viruses like uh, papillomavirus, B virus, and HIV uh, virus. 80% of smoke plumes were found to be positive in papillomavirus from patients and patients are treated uh, with seen uh, disease and suggesting you know control procedures could be required to protect gynecologists and the smoke generated during laser and electrocutary can be you know, a carcinogenic effects in uh, our gynecologists. Going to the minimally invasive surgery, I think it's a quite good paper published four years ago, talking about uh, hepatitis B virus. And they analyzed the smoke in a very sophisticated uh, uh, work, you know, uh, saying you know to determine 
whether uh, B virus is present or not. They, they, uh, their hypothesis is can be detected the B virus during uh, laparoscopic surgery in the smoke uh, uh, filters. The aim of the study was isolate and analyze the virus and I think they, they created this not very complicated system you know, uh, in 11 patients with a previous uh, uh, infection in uh, laparoscopy and robotic uh, surgery. Uh, we have here the table, you know, from this 11, they found uh, B virus in aerosolized gas, minimum at 10. That means, you know, B virus was isolated from the surgical smoke and emitted during laparoscopic abdominal surgery. And this study provides preliminary data in ongoing investigation of possible airborne transmission virus. That is another paper demonstrating the transmission of, in this particular case, infection with the same virus. That is a reality. And we know that different energies can affect in the, uh, in the uh, aerosol uh, effect in our patients and of course in our surgical team. And the conclusion of this study is that smoke should be removed with a smoke evacuation system. And that is a, not, it's a paper, you know, five years published ago. And they are, they are trying to encourage people, you know, the industry to create a good, uh, effective and smoke capture. And uh, we need to have a surgical power equipment and devices incorporated smoke uh, reduction filters. And we have to know surgeons should assess the potential dangers of surgical smoke in all the surgical steam, including surgeons, nurses, all the operating room staff. But what's happened? Now we know, uh, you know, with the aerosol effect before pandemic, and now we're going to the pandemic. That is an excellent recommendation by the Society of American Society of Endoscopic Surgery uh, with the European Society in the personal protection, rationalization, laparoscopy, practical measures, and endoscopy. In terms of the, of the surgical smoke protection, we need to uh, know, you know, we have to reduce the staff member, member in the surgical area to reduce the exposure. At the same time, we have to know all the energy generating devices, you know, causing tissue vaporization, and that is in the surgical smoke. The operative nurses report twice the incidence of respiratory problems when compared with general population. That is very important. And at the same time, there have been multiple case reports of human disease tied to the inhalation of surgical smoke. In the protection, there are examples of the surgical smoke is hazardous in healthcare workers and current disease in humans, laryngeal papillomatosis, even escamol cell carcinoma tested positive in some 
gynecological uh, surgeons. There are also evidence of other fragments on other virus, as I mentioned before. But protection methods to prevent aerosols, you know, maybe it's important to know that all the PPA systems, the root infection, very important respiratory, we doesn't know exactly in the feces. We need to have filter-related, uh, filter-release uh, CO2 with these measurements, and we need to know that choker is, is, is top box and lower connectors has to be closed. The choker incision has to be as small, uh, as small as possible. You can see some examples of the filters and chokers. The smoke evacuation you can use open, you know, with a tubing, with a, sm a smoke evacuation tension in laparoscopy with filters, ULPA filters and intubation in open tubing and at the same time that the physiology yeah, has to know they have to uh, use smoke evacuator too. You have some examples here of very good uh, smoke evacuation systems, you know, actually manufactured before this pandemic situation. We have valves insufflation system, well known the LC uh, systems. We need to know reduce interdominal pressure and very important before to make the incision to removal specimens, we need to deflate the abdomen. Also, in the, in the PPA systems, we have the special surgical masks or PRs, surgical safety googles, waterproof surgical gown, cape or face screen. We need to, to use a second surgical gown in some uh, patients and we need to use two pairs of surgical gloves. Smoke evacuators for open laparoscopy. We have excellence like uh, uh, Megavac plus smoke evacuator with laparoscopic and open modes. You know, all with the, with the filters right in, in line filter and also in open tubing. You can see here also in laparoscopy, also with the uh, open approaches. If you go again to the literature, there are uh, some uh, evidence, you know, like uh, uh, live uh, influenza virus could be in the uh, smoke uh, aerosolization and surgical mask could be a good uh, tool to try to prevent infection or contaminations. There are another limitation probably with a surgical mask and we have to know that and we need to use a special uh, N95 or PPF2 uh, uh, or 3, you know, to, uh, to against particles larger than 0 0.3. Another important thing is if you go to the literature in the United States, only 40%, 14% of operating room workers use some smoke evacuators. And sometimes it's because it's, a, it's due to the noise of those uh, systems. But remember, we need to wear this kind of mask. And I, that is one of the statements of the American College of Surgeons. Another important statement in the Joint Commissions is zero to not thousand of health workers in the Action Europe. 
that could be very important if you go, for example, to my country. The infection in, uh, in health professional in Spain comparing with the total population is a 15%, comparing with Italy, 8%, China, 4% of the preliminary results in the United States, 2%. That is the reason we need to prevent our healthcare professionals to be infected. There are some kind of uh, prototype uh, for trokers uh, to have special filters to eliminate even stroke carcinogens or even in this particular in, in virus. At the same time, you can use the uh, PAPR uh, mask. You say okay, you can use during the uh, operating theater, yes or not. But if you compare with the excellent extraordinary surgical mask, contamination is about 98% comparing with reduced contamination in 100% if you are using these uh, particular systems. SAGES and AIS created uh, some statements. There are not too much evidence in, in terms of the specific uh, uh, COVID-19. We need to study about that. At the same time, the recommended proactive measures are strictly employed in the operating uh, room staff. At the same time, they recommend to use filter release uh, carbon dioxide for particles and is very important and I recommend should be strongly considered. The number fourth is a potential ultrafiltration of the majority of the particles during the open and of course during the laparoscopy and they recommend to use PP systems you know, for the whole team as I mentioned before. But practical measures for surgery is a constant discussion about the risk of COVID-19 is uh, you know patients should should be tested in my recommendation in all the cases all the patients before the surgery and if you need intubation and extubation you need to take place within a negative pressure room probably is not be possible in the majority of operating theaters however if you have use it Operating rooms uh, for presumed or suspected or confirmed COVID-19 patients should be appropriate, filtered and ventilated and maybe should be different than the other emerging surgical uh, patients. And again, negative pressure should be considered if you can do it. The essential staff, only few people has to be in the operating theatres during this uh, pandemic situation. At the same time, recommendation again to uh, PP, use of PPEs and placement or removal of PPE should be uh, performed according to the guidelines. Electrosurgery and other uh, energy this, the, like uh, ultrasonic dissectors, bipolar, uh, should be minimized and we need to use, when you use uh, diatomy pencils, smoke evacuators. At the same time, 
you know, all the instruments uh, have to be clean separately from all the surgical instruments. Practical measures in laparoscopy, is incision pole should be as small as possible, as I mentioned. You know, the pressure should be as low as, as possible and nemoperitoneum has to be evacuated via filtration system. You have many different systems to use in the, uh, in the smoke evacuators, but the recommendations has to be viral exposure risk, has, you have to know, you have to prepare, you have to use in the operating room, you know, again, you know, repeating the personal protective equipment, you know, using outside glasses or mask, and inside you have to use special surgical gown and double gloves. And that is very important. And my last slide in the, in the, in the takeaways is, uh, you know, very little evidence regarding the relative risk of minimal invasive and open approach specific to COVID-19. The surgical smoke is generated when energy generating devices are used on tissue. Surgical smoke contains multiple components like a different uh, health hazards and at the same time viruses and human disease has been linked to inhalation of surgical smoke. Perioperative team, team members should be implemented measures to reduce the uh, exposure to surgical smoke and may include room ventilation and local exhaust ventilation such as smoke evacuation. Prevent aerosol, uh, aerosolization effects in intubation or during the surgery, open on or laparoscopy some smoke evacuators or maybe with uh, with uh, special filters and maybe two-way pneumo systems and more studies are needed regarding different type of energy systems and to use robotics in this pandemic uh, situation thank you very much indeed if you need more assets to help keep fighting this pandemic go to covid19.aischannel.com or aischannel.com. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Stay safe.